Good morning. That's Uncle Jeff. Please turn with me in your Bibles, the book of Philippians, chapter number two this morning. Today is Communion Sunday, but we also, with the same in view, continue with our series with the Baptist principles. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are living in time and in moments when it is required and expected of us to be vigilant. Vigilant not because we are only facing trials from outside. Vigilant not only because there are false teachers around us as the church, but vigilant because we also are aware of the fact or the truth that although Christ Jesus has done a work of redemption in our lives, there still remains within us a residue of sin that has the ability to affect our testimony. And as a way of analogy and introduction, I would want you to think in this fashion. Whenever we speak of false prophets, or we speak of false teachers outside the church, we liken them to wolves. And there's another animal that also is depicted in the Bible, and that is Satan himself. Satan is depicted as a rolling lion who is seeking for someone to devour. But with regards to the remaining sin, as we run away from the rolling lion, as we are vigilant and standing on guard against the wolves outside the church, I long to see us as a local church, as the household of God, to be aware of the termites that have the ability to eat the floor and every wooden st structure that is found in this building. And we may pay attention to the wolves. We may pay attention to the lions. But when the time comes that we're trying to close the door, the structure falls because there were termites in the house. What are these termites? With what are you building this house? Is it with wood? Is it with hay or with stubble? With what are you building your life? Are you spending your life and consuming yourself with the glory of God and with things that really are eternal or are you building it 
with wood. How then shall we stand in a world that is fested by a man-centered view? How then can we be a church that will stand the onslaughts of the evil one from only to his own interests, but also the interests of others? Have this mind among you that which is yours in Christ who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being found, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You may have your seats. Let's come before the Lord and pray and ask him to be with us. Ask him to examine our hearts. Above all else, that Christ will be formed in us. That is the goal. Let's pray then. Our glorious and eternal God and King, we do bow before you. We do acknowledge you as King. Your word is eternal. We are but grass. Your glory is everlasting, but yet our glories are like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. Your word lives forever. Allow then this eternal word not return to you void, Allow not the cares of this age, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, a desire for riches. Allow these thorns and thistles, allow them not to choke the impact of your word on us. Allow not familiarity to breed within us contempt even to your word. You say heaven is your throne, the earth is your footstool. At this heart you will look, one that trembles at your word. So we come like Peter and say, where else can we go? For you are the only one who has the words of eternal life. 
humbling ourselves before your throne, like Mary, say, beat unto me according to your word. Like Samuel of old, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So open our ears to hear your voice. Open our eyes to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. Strip us of any self-righteousness. Strip us of any self-sufficiency. Cleanse and sanctify us by your word. It is your word which is sharp than a double-edged sword. Discern our thoughts, the intents of our hearts, even this morning. Help us, therefore, not just to be mere hearers of your word. I also pray for myself that I will not just be a mere preacher of the word, deceiving ourselves. But in light of what Christ has done, together we humble ourselves to you and say, speak to us. In Christ's name, may God's people say amen. As the church of Jesus Christ, we have posed that question as to how then do we stand? Now, our desire is to be good Bible students, to be led by the text before us, and for you and I to understand as to some of the tension that Paul is also facing. As I have pointed out, this man is writing this at this point in time as he is in jail. The book of Philippians is one of those letters of Paul he wrote to churches whilst he was in prison. But though the apostle of God is in prison at this point in time, he is very much aware of the battles that are still raging in the body of Christ. So turn to chapter number one. I just want to expose you to some of those battles. As we come to verse number 12, the Apostle Paul is showing and urging these beloved brothers. I want you to know, brothers, he says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial God and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for the sake of Christ. So he is in chains not because he had stolen money from the government of his day. He is in chains not because he was a rebel for a wrong cause. He is in chains because of the gospel of Christ. And Satan thought that by keeping this man in prison, the mission of God will not continue. And as Satan would have it, there were some who also rose up in the church at this particular time, and they were going about speaking ill of the apostle Paul. Forgetting that God causes all things to work together for good. And then the apostle encourages these brothers 
I'm going to revisit chapter 1, but I want you to see where we are taking this particular theme. Verse 27, he is urging them to say, Let your manner of life then be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Why? So that whether I come to see you or I am absent, now that I'm constrained in these four walls of prison, Paul desires that he may hear of these believers Concerning what? That they are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So he desires them to stand firm in the face of opposition for the sake of the gospel, even if it means that they too would end up in jail. So be it. So they are called upon to stand firm. Now we believe this, that the church of Jesus Christ, I quote from our statement of faith, what the church is, we believe that the church is the whole company of those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. We believe that the church of Jesus is the company of those who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We've looked at that. We were once slaves to sin as we looked at last week's sermon, remember? Yet Christ the Redeemer came, bought us by His blood, sealed us with His Holy Spirit. We are a company of those indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we are here not on our own mission, such that then as we are sitting here as a local church, we are a manifestation of the universal church. But then, how do we stand firm as a gospel-saturated community? In a world that is filled with men who are so self-focused. In a world that is not worshipping the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who planned our salvation, the Son who executed it, the Spirit who seals it. How then do we live in a world that is worshipping me, myself, and I? How? How do we live in a world that is trying to divide us on the basis of racial grounds, on the basis of political affiliations, on the basis of social economic standing? How do we stand in a world that is so dynamic that John today is calling himself Georgina? Because he wakes up the next morning and he feels as though he is a woman. So he thinks he can now change. How do we live in a world that even those we thought they will abhor the word of God as a fine authority, inerrant, sufficient, inspired word of God? How do we live in such a world that thinks that this, what we see before us, is but mere fables and stories of men. Beloved, there are three reasons in this text. 
Number one, we see, we see them in verse number one to four. As a church of Jesus, we pursue the good of the body of Christ. That's what we do. You've received the bulletin. You can write in your bulletin and you can take notes now. Look at this exhortation that the Apostle Paul gives to these men and women in Ephesus. This is what will separate them, distinguish them from the world around them. This is what will make these men and women. Look at chapter number 2, verse number 14, because I want you to see here that the Apostle Paul has this in mind. Verse number 14, 15. 16. Listen to what the Apostle Paul is exhorting these brothers. He's saying to them, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life. Why? So that at the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So how then do they live as children of God who will then be the custodians, as it would, of the glory of God, that they will let their light shine among men? He is exhorting them, reminding them, Verses number one to verse number four. Listen, he says, so then, he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ. Mark that word if. Sounds as though is a possibility. But that word if, in the original Greek, it actually speaks to the certainty. Actually, this is supposed to read like this. Because there is encouragement in Christ, because there is comfort of love, because there is participation in the spirit and affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of one mind. It's a statement of fact. It's a statement of certainty and not possibility. This is a reality in the lives of these believers. So then he is encouraging them to say there is encouragement. In Jesus Christ, you have been set at ease. That's the word there. You have the consolation in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ speaks to their position, speaks to their union. It speaks also to they are correct. It's a state of being. These brothers and sisters, they are not what they used to be. They are not what they want to be. But they can be encouraged that God, who has called them, has given them encouragement. Is there encouragement in being a Christian? Yes, there is. Look at chapter number one, verse number two. For sinners, sinners are called saints. Do you see that? Paul is writing, he says, 
sense in Jesus Christ. As the work of sanctification continues, look at verse number six. In sanctification, the work that the Father has begun in every believer will complete at the day that Jesus Christ will return. So there is encouragement in Christ. In our sin, we find salvation and we are called sinners. In our sanctification, we are assured that the Father is continuing the work. Look at verse number six. In time of suffering, look at verse number 14 of chapter one. In time of suffering, the Apostle Paul says, and most of the brothers having become confident. Why are they confident? In whom are they confident? In the Lord. Even though Paul is in prison, in times of suffering, the believers have confidence in Christ because they know that Christ is their confidence. There is vindication of the servants of Christ like Paul to be able to stand firm and the other brothers as well, even when suffering and trials come, confidence is issued in the Lord. In our service of Christ, look at verse number 15 to 18. So indeed, preach, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. The latter they are doing it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former they proclaim Christ out of what? Selfish ambitions, not sincerity, but thinking to afflict Paul in his imprisonment. What then? Listen to Paul's joy. He rejoices. Though others seem to preach Christ with wrong motives, but the apostle says, although he is preached in this way, my joy is that Christ is proclaimed. Beloved, there is encouragement in Christ. In life's supreme silence called death, what is the apostle's encouragement? Look there, verse number 20 to 23. Paul says, in the face of death, by the way, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be all the more ashamed, but with all full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether in what? In life or in death. So because there is encouragement in Christ, because there is comfort in Christ, because there is sympathy and affection in Christ, that's what Paul is saying. Make my joy then complete. So then to these beloved, beloved believers, what the Apostle Paul then is pointing is this. There is encouragement because you have a death-defying assurance such that your family ties with one another as Christians. They defy even death itself. So therefore, pursue the good of the body. And he will go on to then tell them as to what they need to cast away. If this is who you are, if this is your reality, if this is what Christ has done for you, if this is what the Holy Spirit has done for you, 
He was then, Paul is asking them, do this. Be of the same mind. In other words, this speaks to what we believe, our convictions. In a world that is saying there is no absolute truth, in a world that is saying truth is what you make, in a world that says that your ancestors determine your fate, in a world that is telling you to say that go to that palm reader and he's going to tell you what your life is all about. In a world that is telling you that you somehow need to buy to what MTV is telling you. Get the bling, the crib, and all the fame. Be of the same mind, having the same love. This speaks to our affections. What do we love? What do we are courageous of? Being in full accord. I want you to see the picture there. The first part focuses on the mind. The second part focuses on the heart. This last part, being of one accord, speaks to the hands and to the feet. How we walk in unison with one another, how we then serve each other, it's not on the basis of world philosophies. We don't buy into the world preaching and bring it into the church of God. We don't take into the world philosophy and bring it into the church of God. In a world that is saying it is the man of God who is more authoritative than the word of God. We come in the church now, right? Paul is saying it must not be so among you. Be of one mind. As contrary to, be of a double-minded man. James, chapter number one, verse number three. Don't be that. Don't be a two-faced type of a man. Be of one mind. Be in one accord. Single devotion. Single purpose. This is a submissive life. This is a life that is honoring Christ above all else. So then, beloved, what I want you to see in this first section, Paul appeals to their character, he appeals to their conviction, he appeals to their confidence, and he reminds them of their communion. It is in Christ. It is participation in the Holy Spirit. Participation, the word participation there speaks to their kononia, the fellowship. They have a common eternal life. They have a joint participation with a common interest, with mutual benefits that they have been given and awarded to them. Not because they are good in themselves, but because God the Son has won them. God the Holy Spirit is enabling them. How then do we live? We live then in devotion to serving the body. Let's ask the questions. Are you serving the body? Or are you serving self? Let's start there. If your wife is a believer, she is primarily your sister in Christ. If your son is a believer, she is 
then also a brother in Christ. We may have nothing in common from the outward outlook, but the one thing we have in common is that we all have been redeemed. There is only one God. And there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus. We're coming to him. So Paul is asking, he say, now I want you to complete my joy. By stating this, the apostle is implying there were many things that he saw in these believers. Yet as he is coming to this particular point, he speaks as though his joy is not yet full. In chapter 1, verse 4 to 5, he prayed for them with joy as he remembers their partnership in the gospel. That's what we have seen so far in this letter. In chapter 1, verse number 18, he sees the triumph of the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. Whether it was in sincerity or it was in pretense, Christ was proclaimed. And the apostle says in verse 18, I rejoice. Then in chapter number 1, verse 18 to 18, C, he rejoices in the sovereign providence of God in his suffering even in the face of death. But as the apostle comes to this point now, he say, I want you to complete my joy. I have had, as it would, if I may use this analogy, three cups of joy, and they have been poured into my heart. Right now my heart is glad, but my heart is still Somewhat empty. Now complete my joy, beloved. I'm seeing godly virtues in you. Yes, they are good. But I desire you to complete my joy. So the question is, how will they complete Paul's joy? Is by being of the same mind, by being of the same love, by being in one accord, full accord. And at the heart of that, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't be self-seeking. In your not wanting to serve. Gali Giri, in his book, This Little Church Stayed Home, spoke with regards to the nature and the character of the church in the 21st century, he says like this, the church has become a marketplace. The worship team and the men who are serving in the church are the service providers. Then the church members come and they are the consumers. They will pay their dues on the door and they are waiting to be entertained. So we will have the all the disco lights in front so that the atmosphere resembles where they are coming from. The dancing floor in partying and clubbing. So we aim to please men. And we have bought into that word philosophy such that we come to church sometimes. We are angry. Why? Because our song was not sung. Mm. We, we make it about us. 
We will pay the pastor, we will pay the staff so that they do the ministry which is meant to be done by us, the body. We are more self-seeking, self-serving. We expect somebody to call us, but we do not call others. We expect someone to pray for us, but we don't pray for them. Then when we find ourselves in wrong, as the body is commanded in Galatians chapter number 6, that they may, we must carry each other's burdens. Some of us don't want to carry others' burdens, neither do we want others to carry our burdens. And we become so self-defensive. The Apostle Paul says, as you do that, you are emptying and you are not filling up my joy. Another enemy that the Apostle Paul points out in chapter number 3 is the enemy of self-righteousness. Can you go to chapter number 3 and you find this? And he says this. And these were the Temites in the church in Philippi. The Temites in the church in Philippi, Paul actually calls them dogs. It's not me, it's Paul. Look at verse number 2 of chapter 3. Look out for dogs. It's like you're walking in the streets and say, beware of dogs. They are there in the church. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Who are these men? They are the circumcision. They are the men, verse 3, by implication, who put confidence in the flesh. They are so self-righteous, they are self-sufficient, such that the apostle Paul has to use himself as an example to say that I, I am the apostle. I also used to be so self-righteous. Then you have another group in the same church, in verse number 18 of chapter 3, go there. He says... Paul the Apostle tells these men, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes. Verse 17, he says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Why? For many of whom I have often told you now, I tell you with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross. Who are these men? Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Their minds set on earthly things. Do you see that? Now I want you to see here that these are men in this particular church who are not serving. They are not pursuing the good of the body, our family. They are men who are actually pursuing the, their own selfish interests. You remember Mark Ehlers took us and taught us about the priesthood of believers. By implication, beloved, what the Apostle Paul is urging these brothers and sisters, he's urging them to exercise that role as priests of one another. Because when we speak of the priesthood of believers, we understand by saying that every Christian has direct access to God through Jesus Christ, our high priest, and each Christian they share with Jesus in his work of reconciliation. 
such that their duty and their mandate involves intercession, worship, faithful service, and bearing witness to Jesus Christ, even to the ends of the earth. These men are not doing that. So then we stand as a Christ-centered church because we pursue the good of the body. But secondly and lastly, because we possess the mind of Christ who is our faithful brother. Look at verse number five and we read, the Apostle Paul then tells us, all these selves find their end in this one. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ. A statement of fact. So you are not pursuing this to attain it. It is yours in Christ. So God is not commanding us what we don't possess. He is commanding us what he has graciously given to us. So what this then shows us, in the first point, we are, we are taught to be men and women who are serving the church of God. In this particular second point, what we are encouraged to do, if we are to make a real gospel and eternal impact, we must submit to the will of God as Christ did. That mind is in us. How did he do this? I'm glad you ask. Look at verse number six. Though he was in the form of God, his deity dwelt in eternity, possessed all powers, all things were made by him. True God of true God, light from light, Begotten and not made. In the form of God. He controls the universe by the word of his power. Of the same essence with the Father. Yet. He did not count equality with God. Verse 6 says. A thing to be grasp. You know what that means? He did not count equality with God as something that he could forcibly return. He did not forcibly return his status. He did not forcibly return his privileges. He did not forcibly return his powers. Neither did he forcibly return his position, that position which he enjoyed once before he stepped down in time, he who dwelt in the bosom of the Father, he who is the radiance of the glory of the invisible God, he who would say, let there be light, and there was light. This is the one who is the daring of heaven, Everything stops at his entrance in Revelation chapter number 5. 
They all bow before him. They take their crowns and they lay them at his feet. He is the only one. The word says he is worthy of all the praise, all the honor, all the glory, all the riches of the world cannot surpass this one. He lays all that aside. Let's ask this question before we continue. Why did he do that? That's why point number one also makes sense. He did that so that he could serve the body. He did not do that for self. He did it for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was chastised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon him. It pleased God the Father to crush his own son. He, the Father, made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, not for himself, so that he may be, we may in turn become the righteousness of God in him. You see, a selfless Savior. It is him, sinner, look to him, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the whole world. It is him then we pursue. It is his mind we possess. He is our example. Not the pastor, not the elders, not your so-called man of God. Not your prophet, not your apostle. He, Jesus, is the only example given to man. He is the one the word of God commands you. Hebrews chapter number 12. To fix your eyes on him. Why? He is the author. He is the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, despised its shame. Listen to Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Listen to what he says. The Son of Man did not come into the world to be served. He came into the world to be a ransom for many. In application, no matter your privilege, no matter your honor in the world, no matter your successes, no matter your status in the society, when we come to the church of Jesus Christ, the ground is leveled. Amen? The cross of Christ glorifies all of us. The ground is leveled that we all take our crowns as it would. We lay them only at one foot. Whose foot is it? It's the foot of the cross of Christ Jesus. So we come in humility because that's what our Savior did. He humbled himself. He laid aside his privileges. He emptied himself. Of all those privileges... So that men and women will be reconciled unto the Father. Here is the table. Dinner has been prepared. Cooked by Christ as it would. 
He becomes the meal we partake himself. And the only right we have is his death on the cross. Reconciliation has happened. There is a ceasefire between God and man. The wrath of God has been satisfied. The justice of God has been saved. Man can now boldly come before the throne of grace. Not through a sacrifice, but through a person. Not through some principles, no, but through a person. That person is Jesus Christ. Therefore, if he served us, we then ought to serve one another in humility. I finish by reading chapter 3. Turn there with me. This Christ then becomes the supreme goal that the Apostle Paul would aim to have in his life. He then considers all the prestige and the success of life. Listen to what he says, verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Everything rubbish. Why? In order that I may gain Christ. And I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in who? In Jesus Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. What do you want to know, Paul? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Be warned, brothers, verse 17. Join in imitating me, he says. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Verse 17, he says. Then he warns and he says, For many I tell you, whom I often told you, now I tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. With the minds set on earthly things. Don't set your minds here. Why? Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior. Who is our Savior? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who will transform our lowly bodies. To be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Seek him. Fix your eyes on him. Colossians 3, chapter 1 to 3, set your affections on things above where Christ is. Hebrews 12, verse number 1, fix your eyes on Jesus. In suffering, fix your eyes on him. When sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to master you, Fix your eyes on Jesus. When the guilt that clings within seems to trouble you, fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because it is 
our goal to pursue the good of the body and to possess the mind of Christ and to glorify God every step of the way. Let's bow our heads and we pray. Our glorious and eternal God and King, we had made of our own inadequacies. We worship you, the crucified and risen Savior. You have won us to yourself. We therefore cast aside every righteousness of our own, even as we now ascend to this table, we are reminded the death you died was rightfully for us. And I'm aware, Father, there may be some here who do not know you, some who profess to know you. Yet the faith they profess, do, they do not possess it. They too, I ask today, before you return, may they be partakers of your divine nurture. May they too bow before you. So in humility, complete faith in Christ. We pray that you be glorified. This is our chief end, to glorify you only and to enjoy you forever. So help us in the power of your spirit to do that in humility of heart and great joy in holiness without which no man will see you. So we glorify and honor you quite in our hearts now as we come to your table. 